You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. And if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let me invite you to turn with me to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we will spend some time together this morning looking at what Scripture has to say to us regarding these kinds of things in our world. Uh, We are going to press pause, if you will, on our series through Ezekiel uh, for at least this week. Uh, Next week we we will most likely return uh, to Ezekiel. We'll just leave that up to the Lord. Um, But obviously the thing on everyone's mind is... COVID-19, as it's been uh, affectionately uh, titled, named. Um, and so everyone is kind of running around scared. Have, how many of you have been to Walmart in the last couple of days? Yeah, so how many of you have been grocery shopping before that? I hope so, because <laughs> there's not much there, uh, as I understand it. Um, you will not find hand sanitizer or anything else. So um, uh, just do the best that you can. Uh, Lord willing, those those stocks will go up. But certainly... Uh, this is the most important issue in our nation right now, and certainly uh, it should be. Um, but it has incited many different responses, different reactions. Uh, one of those is there are some that have been responding in panic and fear. Uh, fear that you're going to get sick, or the whole world's coming to an end, or uh, maybe the sky's falling. Some of you, maybe, and, and others I know, have had uh, deep anxiety over what do we do about this virus if it happens. Um, so many of the reports and the symptoms that we've read uh, have been somewhat frightening, and, and there's been uh, some, probably some scare tactic in the, midst, in the mix of all of it. Uh, and so there's been some that have responded in panic and fear. There's others who would respond carelessly and say, ah, no big deal, kind of scoffing at all of the uh, all of the outrage from it and all of the precaution that's being taken. I've heard uh, from many people, why are we canceling all these different things? And uh, this is just overkill. It's it's overreaction. So I've heard that response. Uh, there are others who want to sit back and rail on government action or foreign government action. Uh, media, culture, and, and call all these just simply a, all these precautions just simply a media blitz or a publicity stunt or political stunt or manipulation. I've heard that response. And then there are still others who don't know how to respond, looking at the world and going, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and so in the midst of all of those things, uh, I've received some of those kinds of texts and phone calls over the course of the week. And in addition to seeing all the social media buzz, I think that it's very important for us to deal with this as a church body and to, us to answer some questions biblically and how we respond. So let me just pose this question to you as we open up God's word together this morning. How should the church respond to the coronavirus pandemic? This is the question 
that all of us should be asking, at least, if for no other reason than just to say, how does the Bible apply to life? So we should be asking this question. And let me just give you in a more broad sense how we should respond, not just to this particular pandemic, but any epidemic or pandemic medically uh, that happens. How should we respond biblically when it comes to these kinds of things in our world? Such a widespread crisis. There are at least two things by way of introduction that we need to nail down just coming into Revelation 21. Number one, we must prepare. There is no question that we must prepare. So Proverbs 22 and verse three, the prudent or the wise person sees danger and hides himself. But the simple or the unwise or the foolish go on and suffer for it. There is a need in Scripture, especially as you look at the book of Proverbs, for us to be wise and for us to prepare for things in our life. We would be fools not to prepare. The Bible gives all kind of illustrations of that. Proverbs, the most famous, is the ant. And if we're not careful, we'll go on in our lives and not be prepared, and it will take us off guard. So, of course, the the immediate context of Proverbs 22 is preparing for decisions that come as the or that for circumstances that come as the result of specific sinful choices. But the more general principle that we need to understand is that we need to walk in wisdom in a world full of sin. That's just simply the biblical principle. So as this hits us, certainly we need to prepare and, and we as a church are making some steps to prepare. You have already seen some of those things. Let me just List some of the things that we're doing for you so that you are aware uh, from the pulpit. We're taking some extra steps in cleaning. You've probably noticed uh, the hand sanitizer around and some of the the wipes. We're, We're wanting to make sure that we disinfect things and be careful in that way. Uh, when we take communion together, as we get closer to um, as we get closer to Easter and Good Friday, we're we're actually going to have a Good Friday service together. And so on Palm Sunday and Good Friday, we're going to be participating in communion, and we're going to move to a prepackaged deal for a little while uh, to make sure that we are guarding you and your safety. We want to be careful about that. Uh, we are not going to have greeting time on Sunday mornings during worship, at least for a while. We want to make sure that we uh, guard close personal contact. I would also suggest to you uh, that you use some other means other than shaking hands and hugging. Some of that's happened already this morning, but there's been some elbow bumps and fist bumps and some toe bumps, Brother Howard. There's been some out there. So uh, let's, let's just be respectful. Uh, it is a way to love our neighbor, uh, believe it or not that we guard their health. And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to be receiving our morning offering this morning. Some of you are going, oh, wait a minute, we forgot something. We get in such routine. We're going to receive our morning offering on the way out this morning. Uh, So we'll have two men standing at the back door to receive that. And don't forget, you can also do that online. Uh, So we're making those provisions. Um, we are suspending, uh, as of this, as of last evening, we are suspending our Sunday evening services for two weeks. Uh, Sunday evening gathering, so all connect group, all meal, all of that stuff is going to be suspended for two weeks so that you are aware of that. And I would just encourage you to take precautions as far as cleaning your hands and, and all of those things as best as you can. Things we would normally do on a regular basis. 
Um, as I mentioned, all of that stuff is going to be up to date on our website and we will be sending it out uh, as a bulletin on Facebook as it gets updated. So you'll see that most recent information. We must prepare. We cannot go into this unprepared. But at the same time, the second thing that I want you to hear very, very clearly is we must not panic. We must not panic. Second Timothy chapter one. For this reason, I remind you, this is Paul to Timothy. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here is what he says as a result of that gift. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gospel within you. And as a result of that gift, Christians are not to have a have fear. We're not to panic because God has not given us that spirit. Any spirit of fear does not come from God. It comes from sin in the world and the enemy. And so we must not fear. And the reason that that's true is because of the gospel. The question, though, that comes before us this morning is what is it about the gospel that leads us not to fear when it comes to these kinds of crises in our life and really in the world. What is it about the gospel that leads us not to fear? So in order to answer that question, we're going to look at Revelation 21 together. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me if you're able in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 21 And verse one, John writes to the church, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, listen to this statement, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, un, the, the, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we can come to it and be encouraged and instructed. And I I pray that you would help us now to think biblically about world events. God, that you would help us as your church to trust in you and to think about your word 
and to be informed by your word and how we respond. Lord, we know that your word is true and trustworthy. And so we do trust it this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see what you have to teach us. Lord, if there is one here who's never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon their heart their need for a Savior today from your word. And God, that you would call them to salvation. May it be today that they trust in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so we live in a sinful and fallen world. Amen. Amen. I know we're few this morning, but we're few enough to worship the Lord, right? To hear from the Lord. We live in a sinful and fallen world. And the effects, the consequences of that sin is all around us. You don't have to look very far, do you? To find the effects of sin in our world. You don't have to look very far at all. Just think about it with me for a moment. Sickness, we're facing that just now. Disease, suffering all around us. Poverty, brokenness in people's lives, all of the suffering that happens around us. Divorce, rampant addiction, abandoned children. There are over 200 last accounts I had homeless children in Walton County and many more in foster care and in need of adoption. Just sat in a meeting about that this week. Abandoned children, greed all over the place, abuse of power, hatred, violence, disaster upon disaster, and certainly death upon death. The world is broken, is it not? It is broken. And this virus, just so you know, is just one more expression that the world is a broken place. That is not to say that the virus is the result of a specific sin. And I want to be very clear about that. I do not believe that we can, as God's people, point to specific events in history or in contemporary society and say that is the judgment of God upon a people. I don't think that we can do that simply because it's not our job. It may be true, may or may not be true, but it is not our job, nor do we have the authority or the knowledge to declare that. So let's be clear. This virus is just simply the result of a sinful world where everything is broken. And this text verifies that. Verse 4 mentions tears and death. And that that is the current existence of man. Tears everywhere, death everywhere. Isn't that what the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote? Chapter 2. He said, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils? In other words, for all of our hard work and all of our effort under the sun, for all of our days, he goes on to say, all of his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This, is all, this also is vanity. This world is full of of trouble. And if you don't realize that, you haven't lived long enough yet. It's coming. And that is the life that sin has brought us. It's not just a hard world because it's hard. Sin is the reason the world is broken and full of trouble. Sin may be pleasurable for a fleeting season, 
But at the end of the day, it always leads to final misery and ultimate destruction. Pride goes before a fall. Amen? It always ends bad. There is one and only one way that a person can live in such a world and not panic. It's only one way. Have all of our anxieties calmed, even though they're going to be there. Have all of our fears relieved, even though we're going to fear at times. There's only one way we can live with great hope over all of these hopeless situations. Only one way we can have enduring internal peace among a world that is in utter chaos. And it's found in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. It's not just a promise. It's not just a claim. It's not full of air. There's weight and value because the one who said it says this. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He is making all things new. That means when you look at your circumstances around you, when you look at the illnesses that, that keep coming up, when you look at the chaos in the world, when you look at world events, when you look at political abuse, when you look at the falling away of the church, in all of these things, all of the chaos around you, you can know what is trustworthy and true is that Jesus is in fact making all things new. We can trust Him. And that's His promise to us. That they're trustworthy and true. It's reversing, in a sense, all that has happened because of sin. All of the, the brokenness of sin. Everything that sin has done in our world. Everything that, let me just state it more, more clearly, more precisely. Everything that we have done by sinning against God. All of the results of the curse. God is, in effect, reversing it in the hearts of believers and ultimately recreating it to bring it all to be complete in His perfect kingdom. Jesus is making all things new. And so we know that He's reversing it because in verse 4, there's not just a reference to tears and being wiped away, or, uh, to tears and death, but what He's going to do to tears and death. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes in verse 4. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For former things have passed away. That's good news, isn't it, Brother Curtis? You ain't got to worry about that shoulder forever. That's good news for knees, isn't it? You ain't got to worry about that anymore. That's good news for breathing. Miss Norma's not here, but that's good news for breathing. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to worry about your knees anymore. There's coming a day when we don't have to worry about this anymore. And the reality is that that day is true. It's trustworthy because Jesus promised to do it. And therefore, we respond now in the world in a different way than the rest of the world does. Because our future has been changed. It's different. It's different. He's putting an end. Jesus is putting an end to all suffering and all death. That is caused by human sin. And he's putting an end to it forever. So how's he doing that? It's a question you should ask. It's an important question. Because without knowing how he's doing it. Then we're not, a brought, we're not brought along with the promise. 
So let's ask that question. How is it that Jesus is making all things new? Well, there are three things in the passage that we see, certainly that could be expanded as we look at the rest of the word. But just to bring this into one summary this morning so that you see it. He is, number one, making all things new through his gospel. He's making all things new through his gospel. And we see that most clearly in this passage in verses six and Seven, follow along with me. After he says, I'm going to make I am making all things new is what he says. These words are trustworthy and true. Here's how verse six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Then he extends an invitation to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without Payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is a gospel promise. It is the echo of the words of Jesus on the cross. Do you remember? Jesus was there being crucified for the sins of the world, taking on himself the wrath that was due us, dying in our place. And he comes to the end of his life, the final breath breathes his last and with that breath says it is finished. What is it that Jesus meant on the cross when he said it is finished? Jesus came with a mission. He came with a very explicit purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus gave up his life there on the cross, he made an atonement for our sin. He paid the price that was due us. He satisfied the wrath of a holy God that was due us. He took our death upon himself. He exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness. He on that cross made it possible to declare us not guilty, to forgive our sin and to make us right with God in order that we might be restored into a right relationship with Him forever. And so when He said, it is finished, He accomplished, achieved all of those things. It's done. It's finished. So when we read in Revelation chapter 21, it is the final consummation of that completion. That all that Jesus promised to do and set out to do, that He has in fact completed. Love shown. Sin paid for. Justice satisfied. Penalty removed. Righteousness exchanged. Brokenness restored. Forgiveness offered. Finished. It's done. And this was always the plan. So He says here, it is done... I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Some of you have heard this all of your lives. It is the Alpha, the beginning of the Greek alphabet, and the Omega, the end of the Greek alphabet. First and last letter. It's like Jesus saying, I am the A and the Z and everything in between. I have no beginning. I will have no end. I was there at the beginning. I'm going to be there at the end. I am the beginning. And I am the end of all things. It was always the plan. Don't look at the cross as God's bailout plan for men. Look at the cross as God's perfect 
plan A for us to save us. I love I love Acts chapter two when when Peter's preaching and he says to the crowd, this Jesus. Whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, but he also says to them that God delivered him over to their hands to be crucified according to his own plan. (laughs) That was the plan from the beginning. Jesus is plan uh, plan A. He always was the plan. And so he extends this invitation. He says to the thirsty, the one who recognizes this unquenchable thirst that could never be quenched by sin, the, the thirst that could never be quenched by figuring out your way through life and achieving a career or doing any of these other things, none of that quenches the spiritual thirst that we have. He says to the thirsty, the one who thirsts, who comes after God, who cries for help, who gives, uh, he gives to that one the spring of water of life. That's eternal life. And I love this statement. He does it all without payment. It's nothing that we can offer to the Lord that would satisfy him. There is no payment that can be given to to earn or to buy this water of life. Why? Because Jesus has already satisfied the debt. You can't do what Jesus has already done. And furthermore, we could never have done it to begin with. You can't satisfy, a sinner cannot satisfy a holy God by good works. A sinner cannot satisfy a holy God by paying indulgences to the church. A sinner cannot satisfy a holy God by our heritage, the way that we grew up, how we were raised, not by knowledge, all the things that you know about God. The only payment that could ever satisfy a holy God is the one that Jesus has already made. Amen? It's only one. And so, it is through faith in Jesus. He says here, the one who conquers. This becomes, you don't offer your heritage. Watch this, I love it. You don't offer your heritage to the Lord, you get a new one. The heritage of the one who overcomes, the one who puts faith in Jesus. We see that theme all throughout Revelation. We don't have time to unpack it, but follow that on your own. It is the one who puts faith in Jesus receives a new heritage. We become sons and daughters of the living God by adoption. This is the gospel. This is the reason why Jesus can make all things new is because of what he has done for us in the gospel. Secondly, he is making all things new through his return. He's making all things new through his return. So it is what Jesus did 2000 years ago and what he planned from the beginning to do that makes all things new. But he's coming to complete that. When he returns, you might ask the question, if it's true that Jesus is making all things new, y'all believe that? Y'all believe that's true? That's true. Then why do we see all this mess around us? Why is all this stuff still here? And more specifically, maybe you're asked the question, why are believers facing suffering? I mean, that's that's hard to kind of resolve in our minds. Why is it that Jesus has saved us and yet we still face all of this Pain and suffering and even temptation 
and even sinfulness in our lives as we are struggling to overcome those things by the power of His Spirit. Why? Why is it still happening? Hear this, believer. Jesus is coming again for His church. There is an already, but not yet, nature to the kingdom. Where God has already established His kingdom in the Gospel, in the first coming of Jesus, and has finished the work that was required for our salvation. Amen? He's already done that. But there is a sense in which God is still working to complete His kingdom and He's bringing all things to a final end where all sin will be defeated, death will finally be put under His feet, and He will ultimately reign and rule and His church will be presented to Him faultless. And that's what we see in Revelation 21. That's the picture. So Revelation 21 says this in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first, uh, for the for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why is there not going to be a sea? Well, you can speculate, but it's it's a whole new existence. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them, will be with them as their God. That's the picture of Jesus return. Some of you go, well, you know, streets of gold and and pearly gates and and clouds and angels. And what about all that stuff? No, the glory of the new existence is that God is recreating the world. I don't know what that's ultimately going to look like. But the glory of the new Jerusalem is God Himself. And that's where we will spend forever with God. We have a lot to look forward to. I don't know what that looks like. Are there streets of gold and other things? Sure. But this, this is far more than we could ever imagine. And Jesus is coming to restore us to Himself ultimately. When I woke up Friday morning, I was wrestling with whether to address this illness specifically. And when I woke up Friday morning, the words of this passage and the words of the song that we sang a few moments ago would not leave my mind, particularly verse 2, and I want you to hear it again. There will be justice. This is the first two of this song. There will be justice. All will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Two things we see happen in the passage in this new creation. One, the church will be made spiritually new. He sees the holy city and he sees it prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is not only a picture of a physical thing, but a picture of people. A bride prepared for Jesus. We hear the echo of Ephesians 5 when Jesus is washing his church by the water of the word and he presents us faultless to himself. A bride. That echo 
So the, the church is being made spiritually new. The world, secondly, is created new. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away. I think that's a reference to the atmosphere. I don't think it's this dwelling place of the Lord as we understand it. I think heaven and earth kind of come together in one new existence. But at least suffice it to say, we will be with God forever and He will be our God and we will be His people. And that is what He intended from the beginning. He's recreating all of that. Jesus is making all things new By His new creation. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And it will be forever. Third, not only is Jesus making all things new by His Gospel and by His return, He is making all things new through His justice. Through His justice. Verse 8. Before we read it, it is important for you to understand that just as much as the gospel is good news for the believer, the gospel is really terrifying news for the unbeliever. The one who does not repent, the one who does not turn to Jesus, does not experience the gospel as good news. We just read the Gospel, and here's what verse 8 says. In contrast, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. It's not an exhaustive list. These are just sins that characterize the natural man. And there's so many more that could go into that blank. You could complete the list with so many more things. There's other lists, in fact. And here's what he says about them. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is how, a part of how, Jesus makes all things new. With His justice. Here's what's happening in the world. Jesus is saving for Himself a people. But the world is still full of sinners and sinful condition and brokenness. And there's coming a day when the Gospel invitation that has been extended to the entire world will end. And when that invitation ends, God is going to save for Himself the church. All of those who trusted in Jesus and all of those who reject Jesus are going to be condemned forever. The only way that God gets justice is to either satisfy His wrath against our sin in Jesus or to satisfy it in us. And if we reject Jesus, we receive the wrath of God for all of eternity. It is a terrifying thing. A terrifying thing that we would die and face God. And so let this serve as a warning. The believer has absolutely nothing to fear in death. Amen? But the unbeliever has absolutely everything to fear in death. We, church, have nothing to lose and everything to gain. But the unbeliever has everything to lose and nothing to gain. And so the invitation here has already been extended to us. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. The invitation is all of those who do not know Jesus to come and repent and believe the gospel and receive living water. Oh, receive, receive. So the question again, this is what Jesus is doing. So how should the church then respond to the coronavirus pandemic? There are at least two things this morning that we should do. Number one, we must trust in God. We must. Absolutely must trust in God. Those who are in Christ have no reason to fear. Amen? None. Whether it's sickness, whether it's pain, whether it's financial hit that we may incur because of this illness, whether it's having to close the doors for the church and live stream everything online, (laughs) nothing to fear. We were just talking about a few moments ago this morning that that whenever they told, whenever, whenever they told Peter and John, don't speak in the name of Jesus, do you think that they were able to program them out of Christianity? No. They said, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. As for us, we've got to obey God. You can't stop a move of God among the people of God because he said, I am making all things new. And so we have nothing to fear. I mean, what could happen? What's the worst that can happen? Let's just let's just play this out. What's the worst that could happen? All of us die, right? Right. But then all of us are in heaven the very next breath with the Lord. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? You know, it's, it's, if I've got to stay here, then I've got to stay here. And that's going to be fine because God's got a plan for that. But at the end of the day, I'd rather depart and be with the Lord. That's far better. That's what Paul said, isn't it? We have nothing to fear. Why is it that Christians run around in a panic? <laughs> because we're afraid the world's coming to an end. Praise God if it does. <laughs> Because we're going to be with the Lord. I think about verses like what Paul said in Romans 8. I consider the sufferings of this present world, of this present time, not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us and in us. Verse 38, he said, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor any uh, nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any else, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Isaiah 26. Even in the midst of all of this, listen to these words. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. So He says, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Oh, we should be prepared, but we must not panic because our God is sovereign. The second thing that we must do 
We must be the church. We must trust in God and we must be the church. What do I mean by that? God has created us to be a new people, different kind of people. And we have a responsibility in the world to be not only to to that we are the church. We've got to be the church. We've got to live out what Jesus has called us to. And three things come to mind when it comes to this panic. Number one, we must spread the gospel. We must spread the gospel. I've answered quite a few people who've had concerns about the widespread, widespread panic in our culture or being manipulated by the media or scoffing at all the preparations that are being made. And of course, that is foolish. But what else would you expect an unbeliever to do? It's not how a Christian responds, but certainly it is reality for the unbeliever. They should fear death. It's not only a natural response, it's legitimate. For the person who does not know God, you should be afraid to die. Without Him, there is no hope. And so what must we do as the church? As they're panicking? Listen to this closely. We are to spread the gospel far faster than this illness could ever spread. We're to spread the gospel faster than anything else as a result of sin spreads. We're to be a people on mission. Taking the gospel to the world. What must we do? We must preach the gospel to all creatures. So spread it. When a world is in panic because of illness, we have a God who saves. Secondly, we should pray. Pray for the spiritual healing of the world. And pray for the physical healing. It's not wrong for us to pray that they would be healed. We should do that. But that in that healing that they would recognize it is God who heals and it is he who we must turn our lives to. And so pray for them and pray for one another that God would heal us and protect us. Those are all legitimate things. Pray for medical staff and officials who are in this every day. We have nurses and first responders in our church. Pray for one another. Pray for wisdom for those that are researching this stuff. Pray for all of these things, because I just believe that God can take what is an, an absolute pandemic, a crisis, and can use it for the sake of the gospel and his glory. So pray, pray toward that end. And finally, care, care. Take every opportunity to practice mercy and compassion on those who are hurting. It's not just the coronavirus. You have neighbors and co-workers and friends and family who do not know Jesus, who need someone to care for them. Who would pour out on their lives the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Think about the crowds. Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and He had compassion on them. May the compassion of our Savior be in our hearts as we minister to the community around us. Care for them. There's a couple of ways you can do that just offhand practically. One, there is a box in the foyer. Miss Gail sent me a text this morning and said, Hey, i got an idea. I've got some extra supplies. Walmart shelves are running low. Can we bring those to the church and collect those in the foyer for people who have need? So, Know this, there's a box out front. 
If there's supplies that you need, those are there for you to take if you need them. If you have extra supplies, we encourage you to bring them so that we can give them to people who have need. It's one way you can practically care for others. If you happen to be in Walmart and see hand sanitizer, pick it up, right? I don't know. That's coming and people will need it. And you might say, well, what happens when this thing is over? We got a whole community that's in need. We'll find a use. We'll find a use. And Lord willing, God will use that for the gospel. Thank you, Miss Gail, for doing that. That's, that's what we need to be doing as a people. There's another way that you can practically give. And I want to just encourage you in this way. And that is financially. We have different ways that you can give to the church. We have a benevolence ministry that helps those that are in need. And then even beyond that, just our general giving. I want to encourage you. We, we Praise God we put out a need last week for video ministry. <laughs> Little did we know we might actually have to use that. Who knows in the next couple of weeks. Um, in, in a very real way. But even beyond that, just our general giving, we don't want to slack up on our giving during this time. We want to keep giving. Why? Because the ministry of Southwide Baptist Church needs to thrive in a season like this. Amen? We need to be serving our community. And the only way we can do that is if we're all generous in our giving. And so you can do that even, by the way, if we don't meet. We use online giving. You can do that. So this morning, what about you? Are you responding to this epidemic or this pandemic in a way that is biblical? We want to extend an invitation to you this morning that is twofold. One would be that you would come and trust in Jesus and receive the gospel today. You don't have to be the one who burns forever in a place called hell. You can be the one who knows God and is with him forever because of Jesus And you'll know Him and He will be your God and you will be His son or daughter. And you can just trust Him by faith. Not in what you can offer, but in in, in what Christ has already done for you on the cross. If you'll trust Him today. Turn from your sins. Trust Him by faith. In just a few moments, we'll open this invitation. You come down this aisle say, Pastor, today I want to be saved. It's that simple. That's your confession. And I want to lead you to faith in Christ this morning. And you can do that in a few moments. Here's the second part of the invitation. We're going to, at the end of that time, we're going to close in a time of prayer for our nation and for those around us in our community. Uh, There was a a list that was put out by our convention, and we want to be uh, honoring of what our leadership is leading us to do, and we want to pray. We would do this anyway, but we want to pray in a consistent way with the rest of our church's around us as we in concerted effort ask God to respond uh, in the midst of this pandemic. So would you bow your heads this morning? I'm going to pray just now and then we're going to open this time together. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts. And God, as we respond in faith to what you are doing in the world, as we trust in you, God, we pray that you would address the needs around us. God, as we commit our lives to you, help us to respond in obedience to what you've called us to. Say
Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you that you are good and that you're wise and that we can trust you. Lord, because you are working in our midst. God, you're working in our community, even in this virus. Lord, what the enemy may use for evil, may mean for evil. God, you mean for good. And so, Lord, we know that you are gaining victories out of this. Uh, Lord, that, that you are sovereign over it. And we pray that through all of the things that are happening among your churches, that you would just simply use your church to rise up and to be the church in each of our communities. God, we pray that um, you would bring people to faith in Christ through this event. Uh, Lord, help the church to faithfully serve uh, to be to be a light as we lead out in our care ministries and in our gospel proclamation. Uh, Lord, we want you to be honored in that. And so, Lord, we pray that that would take place. Lord, help us to respond biblically as a as a people, as a church, so that you might receive glory and honor among us and through us in this community. Now, Lord, we pray that you would, by your mercy that you would stop this pandemic and that you would save the lives of people. God, we know that you are able. We're asking not just in the community that we live in and not just in the nation that we have been blessed to live in, but God, that you would stop the worldwide pandemic of this illness. God, we do not know all of the details but we know that you are the great physician and that you are able to heal. And so we ask you to do it. God, we pray for our president, Donald Trump. God, we pray for our government, all of our congressmen. God, all of those who are um, at the CDC who are investigating all of these things, all of our health care officials, all of our state officials on every level and the governments worldwide. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom and that you would give them uh, the best course of action to take in preventing this illness and to caring for those who have it. God, we pray for that. Your word says that you give wisdom to all who ask and you give it liberally. So would you give them wisdom? Lord, I, I pray that as the scripture teaches us, that you would help us to number our days. God, that you would give us wisdom in how we live to realize how fragile our lives are and how real eternity is and that we would see our need for you as believers in a fresh way and that the world around us and specifically in our community, that they would see their need for you and would turn and repent and believe the gospel. And Lord, we pray for our denomination, our churches across this this nation, we pray for other churches across this nation as they're doing gospel ministry. God, would you make their ministry effective and fruitful? And would you guard them and protect them in their health as they strive to reach the communities in which they serve? And Lord, would you protect our missionaries that are on the field? God, we pray specifically as a church for the Piovazons. We pray for the Matthews. We pray for uh, Karim and Joy, we pray, God, that you would uh, protect them from this illness. They are all in probably more harm's way just in terms of this illness than we are. And we pray for their protection. 
We pray for our missionaries as Southern Baptists, God, that you would protect them while they're on the field. Lord, we pray for our military. God, there are some that we love that are overseas and some who are wondering if they're even going to be able to go overseas. And so we pray for them that you would protect them. God, keep them uh, safe and, and illness free so that they can protect us. But more than that, God, so that you can receive glory and honor from what's happening. And then, Lord, we pray for all of the community organizations around us, like our schools, those who serve and those who are in health care. Would you protect their safety? And we trust you to do that. Give wisdom in our organizations as we think about whether to cancel and not cancel and how to move forward with plans. We trust you. We want to prepare. We don't want to panic because you, our God, are the one who reigns over it all. And so we trust you today and we commit our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.